Hey, Women of Hope. This is Jen Guzzi. I want to welcome everybody in this room. I'm looking at about 120 beautiful ladies. And I'm also talking to almost 200 of you that are listening on this podcast. I don't know when. Maybe in your car, maybe while you're walking, maybe you're folding laundry. Uh, but welcome to Women's Bible Study for 2023. Uh, my name's Jen. If you haven't met you yet, I've been at Hope for like since it started with my husband, Matt. Uh, we bounce around all three sites. We have two kids. They're both in college. So if you're still in the grind, there's life on the other side. So it's great. But I am still parenting. My, my husband always reminds me, you're not done. We're still parenting. So it's a little too big for you. Um, so this whole year, we're going to be going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and often called Jesus' greatest sermon. Um, and last year when we were together, we studied just interactions with Jesus, women's in particular interactions with Jesus, and went all through the Gospels talking about different um, experiences that women have with Jesus. And it was kind of like Jesus interrupting Situations or Jesus responding to women and to people. Um, but this time, I'm kind of excited about listening to Jesus teach in his sermon uh, on the Mount. And that's what we're going to be talking through. Um, another reason we picked the Sermon on the Mount is because we've been studying the life of Moses at Hope. So if you've been around Hope for the last six months, that's been the topic of the sermons. We've walked through Exodus, going through the life of Moses. That uh, drifted into a study of the Ten Commandments, and now we're in Mark, which, you know, that's a gospel. But it, it's a good continuation of studying the life of Moses into the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll see that because it's, it, he talks about the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's a great uh, connector to that. And as we looked at the life of Moses, there's a pattern, which I want to remind you guys because it applies now, and the pattern is that our God, his heart for us, is that he leads us out of slavery through the wilderness into the promised land. Uh, and with Moses, he led God's people out of Egypt 40 years into the wilderness and the hope of the promised land. And that's where we are right now. So kind of the New Testament version is that Jesus is leading us out of slavery. Right now we're in the wilderness. We're waiting for heaven. And so how do we live during that wilderness time? Um, yeah, the heart of God has always been to free his people, you and me, from slavery and toward freedom as we follow Jesus. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what the Beatitudes are about, uh, about that we're going to look at. So you may be asking yourself, what does slavery and wilderness have to do with me? Well, you and I are in a dance. We're in a type of dance between slavery and freedom. Always. Uh, the slavery to things that we keep going back to that's not, or not, doesn't have anything to do with our relationship with Jesus or our freedoms. So consider today, um, what does slavery look like in my life? What do I keep going back to? that doesn't really give life, that's oppressive. It could be something like slavery to addictions, slavery to self, slavery to security and the comfort of the American dream. It could be slavery to the shame of your story, 
slavery to the fear of your future, slavery to the fear of your children's future, slavery to perfection, to getting it right. All these things that Jesus wants to speak tenderly to us on what does freedom look like? What does following Jesus look like? So you don't have to keep going back to a life of slavery. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to a life of following him that brings freedom and flourishing, even when things are difficult and even when you feel stuck. The other things that Jesus will talk to us about in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks a lot about money and our relationship with money. He talks about loving our enemies. He teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to live counterculturally. And Jesus will speak directly to our anxious hearts, our desires, the anxieties we feel. I know we all feel anxiety because I talk to you guys. What does Jesus have to say about that? Well, that's coming this year. He talks to us about how to move our relationship with him from something we just do on Sundays to something that's intimate, personal, and life-giving. So by the end of the year, we're going to slowly go through the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you'll have a better understanding of his love for you and his heart for you to lead you towards freedom and away from slavery while we wait for a promised land, while we wait to go and be with him in heaven. So what each Wednesday or podcast people, um, what each time together is going to look like in this room. Um, today I'm just doing an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. We'll go briefly through the Beatitudes, which is the first ten verses. I'm just going to do like an overview of that. And then following, like next week, Alex will be teaching. We'll do one Beatitude each week, each time we're together, and then a portion of the Sermon on the Mount together. I'm going to repeat that. So I'm not going to go in-depth to the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through one of them each week and then a portion of the sermon, which is three chapters. So that's what we've decided to do. Uh, the next thing we'll do each week, and you guys could remember this from last time we were together, we do a slow reading of some of the passage each week. And that helps you guys to kind of settle down Engage with your heart and your body and your emotions with the passage. Uh, it helps you to catch up to the speaker or the person. Like, I've been looking at this for a long time, and you guys are just coming in today. Who knows what your day has been so far? So a slow reading is called Lectio Divina. It's called sacred. That means sacred reading. And that just means that I'm going to read it really slowly and give you opportunity to listen to the Spirit and listen to what God may have for you today through the passage, and I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. We're going to sit in silence for a little while. It might be super awkward, especially for you guys on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so just trust me to lead you through that. A lot of times we look to Scripture for information, and this is what it looks like to look at Scripture and hope for transformation. Uh, scripture is not just meant to be studied and examined. It's meant to examine us and our hearts. So we put ourselves under Scripture for about 10 or 15 minutes of each time that we're together. And then we'll have a short lecture. That's what's going to happen after the Lectio part uh, from a different woman on the Women's Shepherd team. And then you'll have your small group time. So we're trying to do probably too many things each time, but we'll see how it goes. Okay, so that's what to expect. Um, let me talk a little bit about the background of the Sermon on the Mount before we dive in. 
I've talked about the life of Moses and this pattern of the heart of God to move his people out of slavery through the wilderness and towards the promised land. Well, here in Matthew 5 through 7, the first four chapters, we see Jesus speaking to us again on a mountaintop. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Moses was given the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. There's a lot of comparisons between Jesus and Moses. They both were um, escaped as infants. They were both tried to be, you know, people tried to murder them both. Uh, they both led the people out of slavery. They both were in the wilderness. Um, Moses for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. And that's just where we pick up Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just left 40 days in the wilderness. He was hungry. He was lied to and tempted by Satan himself. And these are his first public words that he wants to say to his people on the top of the mountain. Now our study begins in Matthew 5, where he's giving his first public sermon. And it's not what anyone expected. He begins his sermon with eight short statements that are commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. So, um, what we're going to do now is I'm going to have you guys settle in. We're going to pray again. We're going to do the slow reading portion of our time together. And just sit in the Beatitudes. We're going to read, well, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 10 with you guys and ask you a couple questions. And then you can journal the answers while we're sitting together in silence. And then you can be free to talk about them or not during your small group time. So, um, yeah, let's just settle our hearts. I'm going to give you guys a gift of like 60 seconds of silence, which is uncomfortable, but it's really good for us. So um, let's just settle yourselves, take a deep breath, feel your feet on the floor. Now, feel your body. Kind of come in and be present to where we are right now. And then I'll pray for us and start reading. Father, thank you that we belong to you. Thank you that we're your daughters. Help us be aware and tune your spirit that is alive in each one of us and alive in your word. I pray that you would help us hear from you in these very precious words, the first public words that you want to say to your people. Okay, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 10. And as I read, 
listen for a particular word or phrase that resonates with you. You don't have to have a reason. This is the opportunity for the Spirit to talk to you today in, any, in the circumstances that you're in today. So write down a word or phrase that catches your attention and just try to notice it. Write it down as I read this the first time. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Just take a moment to write it down. Okay, this time I'm going to read it again slowly, and this time I want you to use your imagination. It's a gift from God, our imagination, and we really are bad at it. The older we get, it's a gift God gives children, and it's a gift you still have. You just need to exercise it and ask Jesus to help you. So I want you to pay attention and imagine yourself on this mountain. Imagine yourself sitting as one of the disciples or sitting in the crowd? What does it feel like? And I want you to engage your body. Imagine looking at Jesus' face while he's speaking. What does your body feel when you hear these words come out of his mouth? Particularly, what words or phrases cause you to feel tension or resistance in your life? You don't really like that. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Take a moment and notice where you felt resistance or tension as you were imagining being there. Okay, this last time I'll read it, I'll read it to you guys. And we're still engaging our imagination and how our body feels when we're hearing these words. Come from the mouth in the face of Jesus. So imagine yourself there on the mountaintop. I don't know what the weather is. It's probably hot. Um, yeah. Pay attention to your body. Now this time, what word or phrase or something that Jesus says causes you to relax? and causes you to kind of exhale and be like, yes, I long for that. I want that. That sounds like great news. A peaceful for a sense of longing. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What did you hear that created a sense of longing or hope in your body? Something you wanted? scripture 
And this passage is wild because there's some stuff in there that I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't want to participate in that. And then there's stuff on the other side that's like, I really, really want this. And I, I felt it. I didn't. I felt it just now. Uh, so it's so good for us um, to get out of our heads and interact, interact with Jesus' words emotionally. And I hope, I hope that that exercise and practice will help you guys um, really feel the word of God personally. Um, so I don't know what your word was. Maybe it was mourning or grieving or comfort or filled. It's just wild to, to take that word from the from the spirit, and then it's an invitation just to think about it later on the day, not just at your table, but God, why do you want me to focus on this word in this passage, in this moment? And all of a sudden, scripture becomes a lot of our life. And I love that. It's not just facts that we're memorizing, and yeah, it becomes a living, breathing way for God to communicate with us. And a prayer, honestly. I see a lot of people that are hot right now, so can we turn the air down, maybe? Okay. <laughs> Not you guys in your car. I didn't you. All right. So um, now we're going to move into the lecture part. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. Hopefully it'll only be 20 minutes. I don't know. I hope. Um, just an introduction to these Beatitudes. How do we read them? Um, I'm going to briefly walk through the Beatitudes, which is the first 10 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and talk about three things. Number one, how do we read these Beatitudes? Um, to me, they can be confusing to read them and also unsettling. Um, I just kind of comment on that. So, how to read the Beatitudes? Um, secondly, what is this kingdom of heaven that he talks about a lot? Uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven so much in the Sermon on the Mount. It's essentially what it's about. What is this new kingdom that he's bringing? Why is this the first thing that he's talking about? So we're talking about what the kingdom of heaven is. And then finally, uh, what's the invitation of the Beatitudes, of these first um, ten statements? Why, why does he start with these first ten statements that are kind of cryptic, kind of like poetic? Uh, what do they have to do with the rest of the sermon? Uh, because the way we re read the Beatitudes informs the rest of our study together. Um, on the whole Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, we're going to be doing this the whole year. So we're going to do three chapters, slow roll, this semester, seven weeks, and then next semester, seven weeks. So get comfortable. Okay, so first of all, how do we read the Beatitudes? What is a Beatitude? What is this word? Yeah, it's a great question. The word Beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessed and that's obviously what we started out of all ten verses. Blessed or this, blessed and that. Um, but blessed is a tricky word in our culture, isn't it? We use it a lot in a lot of really crazy, weird ways. Um, starting with, bless our heart. That is an insult, right? Like, we don't, I don't want anyone to bless my heart when they're talking about me, when I'm not there, for sure. Uh, we say the blessing, okay, for food. Sort of. Thank God. Blessings for Chick-fil-A. Um, and then, honestly, the, the most damage this word has gotten in our culture is when you're on Instagram and you see her, she's on the Cayman Islands, you know, with a Paloma. And what does it say? Hashtag blessed. Yeah. 
while you're grinding it out in Charlotte with your kids in February. I hate her. Okay. Just kidding. Um, a little. So how do we, what do we do with this word blessed? What do you guys do with the word blessed? How do you read the word blessed? Is it lucky? Fortunate? Happy? Successful? Maybe it's even darker. Maybe it means better off than. More than. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's think about a different interpretation of that word as we're going through this part of scripture. Um, I want to present to you uh, the word flourishing, which has not really been in my common vernacular, but it is now. So flourishing, thriving, growing, that's the word, uh, a better word to use as we're thinking of the Beatitudes. Flourishing at peace, a deep contentment no matter the circumstance. Like a house built on a rock that holds up solid through any storm. Which is going to be talked about in two chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. The English term blessed is so heavily loaded with a narrow sense of divine favor that the sense of human flourishing is almost always lost. This is what Jesus wants for us. Human flourishing, growing, thriving. What does that mean? So let's put the word blessed. I mean, we're still going to use it, but let's try to think about it in this flourishing way of thriving and growing. I want to ask you to consider that word as we go through the whole sermon. Uh, These eight statements of the Beatitudes. Okay, here comes another weird word, and I don't think I'm pronouncing this right. The eight statements in the Beatitudes are called Makarisms which mean they're invitations to a way of being in the world that will result in human flourishing. And so you find these makarisms in the Psalms, in Isaiah. You know, it's, it's a statement of blessed, flourishing, a way of being. So this dude, Jonathan Pennington, we've been using this and just in studying this entire Sermon on the Mount, and it's been super helpful It's called the Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. And this is where a lot of these ideas are coming from, including, uh, which I'll show you later, is a different translation of the whole of the attitude. So if you're into (laughs) reading commentaries, I suggest this one if you want to get serious about this Bible study. If not, please don't buy it. Um, And just take notes or whatever you want to do. But uh, if... If some of the stuff we're saying is a head-scratcher and you're not buying it or not sure, you can take a look at this book or you can call them up. Okay, here's a quote from Jonathan Pennington's book. Jesus begins his public ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, by painting a picture of what, a state, of what the state of true God-centered human flourishing looks like. He's making an appeal and casting an inspiring vision, just like in the Psalms, Proverbs, and Isaiah, For what true well-being looks like in God's coming kingdom. So, he's talking about the kingdom. A lot of people call the the Beatitudes, these eight statements, a manifesto of the kingdom of God. Like a short one-page exclamation, exclamation of what the kingdom is like. And it's shocking, because as we looked at before, it's like, why is all this hard stuff here, and all this really good stuff over here, why is that your kingdom? That sounds really hard. 
but I want us to notice that the first four Beatitudes, the first four statements, are about our vertical relationship with God. And again, we'll break those down every week. So Alex will talk about next week, what does poor in spirit look like in our relationship with God? Because that's the first Beatitude. But the first four are about our vertical relationship with God, and then the last four are about our external relationship with others. So it's God bringing the kingdom into us and also pushing the kingdom out into the world. And this is his formula. I hate to say that word. This is his description of how to do that in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the question we want to be asking as we go through this whole year. God, what are you saying about your kingdom? And then you can also add, why is it so wild? This is crazy, actually. Um, So great interaction, coffee time with God or whatever you do. So, um, yeah, the first four Beatitudes flesh out this vision of spiritual humiliation that leads to a life of happiness and virtue, a life of flourishing. So, spiritual humiliation, life of flourishing. Are we, uh, do we want that? Yeah, that's a great question. Do I want, I hate the word hum- spiritual humiliation. Maybe God humbling us to knowing that we need him and we're dependent on him. That's what poor spirit means. You write that down on us. Okay. So we've covered how to read the word blessed as we're walking through the Beatitudes. Generally, it means a way of being uh, that leads to human flourishing. So think through that as we talk about the word blessed. So next, I want to talk about three ways, maybe more, to read the Beatitudes. This is out of this book, too. Three ways to read the Beatitudes. The first one I really resonate with, but I wonder if you guys do too. So take an example of one of the Beatitudes says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I read that and I'm like, well, that disqualifies me. I'm not pure in heart. I don't want to read this anymore. Or, or I'll discount it. Like it's an idealistic reading that feels unobtainable to me. So that's the first way to read that many of us, maybe you guys read, uh, the Sermon on the Mount or the the Beatitudes. Idealistic, unobtainable. This can't apply to me. Surely it's about Jesus. Thank God that he came to the cross and died for my sins and I'm forgiven because I don't want to try to live up to this. It's all on him. Hashtag blessed. Leave me alone. And I do. I have avoided this portion of scripture a lot of my life because it sounds too hard honestly Um, and I'm like what are you doing well I guess this is just thank God for Jesus I have his righteousness leave me alone this is for later the kingdom of God is for later and some of that's true all of it probably is true yes the Beatitudes do describe Jesus perfectly He's humble, he's merciful, poor in spirit, pure in heart. He suffered and was persecuted. He is describing himself in the Beatitudes, for sure. But I wonder if there's more to that. Is he calling me to something that's impossible to live up to? Which makes me emotionally want to avoid all of it. To some, maybe you, the Beatitudes appear to be idealisms that can be picked and chosen from and others that are traits that feel like a weakness or make you feel sinful or guilty, so you better repent. That doesn't feel 
like an invitation or good news to me, and it makes me want to avoid it. Even though it is good news about our Savior, who is all of this stuff in these four or in these ten statements. So let's dive in. You know, we'll dive in and say, I hope that there is more to that. So that's the first way to read it. Kind of this, ooh, over here, impossible, idealistic reading. A second way that we can read it is transactional or a formulaic reading, where it's so easy to read the, the Beatitudes this way as transactional. If I act this way, then I'll be rewarded with this. If I figure out how to be humble, then I'll inherit the earth. Easy. I better get busy. I know I'd like to be shown mercy, so I better figure out how to show other people mercy, because I want that. But the Beatitudes are not active blessings. They're a way of being. They're not active blessings. Look at verse 3. Is God blessing the poor in spirit and then blessing that blessing with another blessing? I don't think that's the case. And we also know that the gospel, the good news of, that Jesus brings us, is not transactional. So this can't be what it means. The gospel is grace-based. It's not based on our performance, our perfection, or our actions. Thank God. Remember, the word blessed is a way of being. It's not something we're trying to get in exchange for our actions. So... Not an idealistic reading that's kind of unobtainable, unobtainable and only about Jesus. Not transactional because we know the gospel is not non-transactional. But what's a better way to read it? So I'm going to offer you guys this. A path to human flourishing. I've said this a lot. Uh, that these statements in the Beatitudes, these ten verses, explain a way of being that produces human flourishing. A way that is actually available to us today. We don't have to wait for heaven for this. Through communion with the Father, through Jesus, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's helpful for me, and it's been helpful to read this um, translation of the Beatitudes. It's helpful for me to exchange the word for into because, and exchange the word blessed into flourishing. So I want to read together... Sorry, people that are listening to the podcast, you don't have a bookmark, but Grunander has one, and it's on the table. Uh, it's a translation that Pennington offers that might help us as we move forward through the Beatitudes. So let me read that with you guys. Remember, a way of being that leads to human flourishing. Flourishing of the poor in spirit because... The kingdom of God is theirs. Flourishing are the mourners because they will be comforted. Flourishing are the humble because they will inherit the earth or the world. Flourishing are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Flourishing are the merciful because they will be given mercy. Flourishing of the pure in heart because they will see God. Flourishing of the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. And flourishing are the ones persecuted on account of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So how can we experience this true way of being human flourishing? 
Well, the sermon will show us that it's only experienced through faithful, heart-deep, whole-person discipleship following Jesus that leads us into his kingdom. His kingdom now. So, as I walk through this with you guys, I mean, I do want to share a little, like, my personal reaction, and I've shared some of this already with the Beatitudes, is when I'm not doing well, there are times when I read through the Beatitudes, and I'm like, all I see is the first half of each statement. And it's, it's depressing. I mean, I'm like, I hear Jesus... All I hear is, Jen, be dependent, be a sufferer, be a mourner, be hungry and thirsty. And these are burdensome attributes he's asking me to be. Why would I want that? Why would God want that for me? And it's wild, because when I'm not doing well, I read the first half, and then I, and then I ignore all the good stuff that's coming after that. And it is good stuff uh, in all of those statements. The promises attached to each of the Beatitudes. So why all this hard stuff over here in order to feel all this good stuff over here? Why the paradox? Why the whiplash? Why the contrast? Well, here's another quote from this book that I really like, and we're going to sit in for a second. What Jesus proclaims as a state of flourishing includes many things that humanity naturally and even vehemently seeks to avoid. Poverty of spirit, mourning, humility, hunger and thirst, showing and even needing mercy, peacemaking, and especially suffering through persecution. Yet Jesus commends these states of being. The Beatitudes show us that human flourishing can be experienced through moments of need, loss, brokenness, poverty, and even outright persecution, and ultimately, as God reestablishes his kingdom. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God for a minute. And essentially, it's Jesus establishing his kingdom through all this stuff that's so hard. So I hear Jen, I hear God saying, Jen, what, this is what it means to follow me. To go towards my kingdom. This is what it means to need him. Help my unbelief. Can you bring your kingdom through all of these statements that seem very hard and weighty? Can you bring your kingdom today? And what does that going to look like? So, Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, a, a lot of scholars call the Beatitudes, as I said before, it's like a one-page description of the kingdom of God. Uh, they call it the upside-down kingdom. So what does that mean? And, and if you look at verse 3 and verse 10, um, it mentions the kingdom of heaven is theirs in verse 3 and also in verse 10. So they're bookends. And that's how we know Jesus is talking, saying, pay attention. I'm talking about my, what my kingdom is in these first ten statements. It's called an inclusio, which tells the reader, you and me, that this is the main point of the passage and will inform everything in between, including the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus mentions the kingdom of God 
32 times in Matthew and 8 times in the Sermon on the Mount. So what is the kingdom of God? I'm just going to give a general overview. What is the kingdom of heaven? Where is it? When is it? Who is it? What is it? All these questions. Well, the Christian experience is one of waiting, longing, and preparing. So think about the wilderness. God leading us out of slavery through the wilderness towards the promised land. That's where we are right now. The waiting, the longing, and the preparing for God's return to earth in the second coming. Therefore, human flourishing cannot be experienced fully right now. Because at the end, God created the world and humanity has not yet been consummated. Indeed, and this is the most paradoxical element of the Christian understanding. We're going to talk about paradox. Human flourishing will only be experienced in a paradoxical way that combines loss, longing, suffering, persecution with true happiness, joy, satisfaction, and peace. So you have that paradox. Paradox means a seemingly absurd statement when investigated, proves to be true. So we have all these things over here lead to all of this good stuff that I want. Why is that your kingdom? But that's how he brings it to us. The kingdom of heaven is not obtained by wealth, power, or privilege, or retribution. Jesus tells us that the riches of of the kingdom of heaven comes through paradox. It comes through suffering, longing, humility, dependence, hunger, and loss. Comfort through mourning, fulfillment through hunger, the kingdom of heaven through poverty of spirit. And to me, that sounds like what we hear Jesus doing throughout the Bible. Isn't that what he does? He brings life through death. He brings light out of darkness. This is paradox. He brings joy emerging through pain. He brings hope birthed out of despair. He who was rich became poor so that I could be part of his kingdom. This is a new way of being. It's the narrow path that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's shocking. He wants us to experience the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, in any circumstance that we're in. So where is the kingdom? Heaven is not just a place we go where we die, when we die. The kingdom of heaven is the presence of God, right here and right now. It's wherever he is. So I want you guys to get out of your head that heaven's just for later. Heaven is right now. Because the presence of Jesus is with you right now and right here. He is the kingdom. I think we mistake God's plan often. It's not just about getting us into the kingdom of heaven. It's about getting the kingdom of heaven into me. I'm going to repeat that. God's plan is not just about getting us into the kingdom. I just got to get to heaven. It's about bringing the kingdom into me today. Through this paradox of hard things that we experience anxiety, suffering, longing, loss, despair. So here's the invitation of the Beatitudes and throughout the whole sermon. Because of Jesus, we are invited to usher in the beauty of God's kingdom right here and right now. So, what does Jesus say about the kingdom? 
And this is a great verse. It's in Luke um, 17, 21. And it says, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the day, when the kingdom of God would come. Because they want to know. We all want to know. When are you coming? When are you coming back? And he answered them. Y'all, they can The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here, there's the kingdom, or there. And Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Other versions say the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is already among you. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is right here. The kingdom of God is him, and Christ is in you and me right now. The kingdom of heaven is the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in you and in me. The Beatitudes are telling us how to experience and usher in the kingdom of heaven here and now. And then you'll see this in the rest of the sermon. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth right now, just as it is in heaven. So let me ask you guys this. What circumstances in your life are you waiting to change before you can consider yourself blessed? Or not blessed? We get so wrapped up and spend so much time and energy asking God to change our circumstances. And we miss that he wants the kingdom of God to come today through those circumstances. And that takes some faith. And some relationship with Jesus and some wrestling. But God, I, I, I want to say, like, the longer I sit in this, like, that is beauty. That is beautiful. That is the kingdom of God. And he takes this crap that we go to, go through, the hard things that we go through, and he redeems it, and he turns it upside down. And he says, that's the life that I want to bring through any circumstance that you're in. So I want to challenge you guys and me to stop praying to God and saying, God, will you change this? God, will you take my anxiety away? God, will you help me not fear? And start praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because I want you to change me, not just my circumstances. And bring the kingdom to bear in our own hearts. And then it will change how we treat others in the city of Charlotte. Blessing doesn't come... Because the condition we are in, we're blessed, we're flourishing because the kingdom of God is available to us in the person and presence of Jesus, who redeems all things and makes all things new. And we'll have to wait, because that's where we are right now. So the kingdom of God comes fully at the end of time, the end of days, but it comes now to us through this paradox of everything we see in the Beatitudes. Longing, mourning, suffering, waiting, being hungry, being thirsty, being uncomfortable. Where is Jesus in that? He's right here with you. So I said before I have trouble seeing the second half of each beatitude. I'm going to close with this. Look look with me at the second half of each beatitude. And I hope this creates longing because it does for me. The kingdom of heaven is a deep sense of belonging. The kingdom of God is theirs. A deep sense of belonging. An unexplainable comfort. 
an inheritance that can never fade, a satisfaction and peace no matter what my circumstances on earth, a generous, merciful, life-giving presence, an intimacy of being with God, being seen by God, an invitation to a family of daughters and sons, basking in the delight of God himself, not just our king, but our father. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst, in, in our midst, in Christ, in me today. And I pray God give us the faith to believe this. And I'll leave you guys with this quote and we'll pray. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. And whether or not we realize it, I think we are all homesick for it. We want this and it's available now, not just later. Let me pray for us. God, um, wow, it's a lot. And um, I pray that your purpose will be done um, through these words, through your word. I pray that this will encourage us and help us to um, pursue your kingdom and your will in our lives and, and chase after you. Because you are the blessing. You are the one that enables us to flourish. And I'm so thankful for that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.